Welcome to the Insight Ministries podcast. We're your hosts, John and Megan Pop. We want to thank you for listening. We hope the messages on this podcast encourage you and bless you. Connect with us on social media, or for more information, check out our website, keepchristinsight.com. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. Gospel of Luke chapter 24. I was reading my Bible the other day and I came across this story. It's a familiar story to many of you. And uh, it's just like, man, stuff just started leaping out in fresh new ways. And it, it really, it, I'll be honest, it kind of wrecked me for a while. And, uh, and so I realized I was gonna be swinging through here and, and the Lord just kind of brought out this beautiful message. And I hope that it does some things. I hope it helps us to, to see more clearly the importance of the word, and I hope, it, I hope that it stirs our hearts to get into God's word even more. So we're going to start in verse 13, Luke chapter 24, verse 13. This is the story of the road to Emmaus. I'm going to read out of the NASB. It says, and behold, on that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, which was 60 stadia from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all these things that had taken place. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they came to a stop, looking sad. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you possibly the only one living near Jerusalem? who does not know about the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what sort of things? And they said to him, those about Jesus the Nazarene, who proved to be a prophet mighty indeed in word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he was, that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, Indeed, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us left us bewildered. See, they went to where the tomb was early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who had said he was alive. And so some of those who were with us went to the tomb. We found it exactly as the women had said, but him they did not see. And then he said to them, you foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to come into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures. I want to preach a message this morning called unlocking the word. Unlocking the word. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? Beautiful Jesus, we just thank you for your presence in this place. We pray, open the windows of heaven, and Lord, you responded by pouring down your glory. And I thank you that truly, I believe, lives have been changed here today because you stepped into the room. Now, I pray that this message would sink deep into our hearts, Lord. I pray that you would bathe it with the utterance and unction of the Holy Spirit to draw our hearts closer to the person of Jesus Christ. I pray that we would burn like never before for you and that you, through deep revelation, would unlock yourself 
the word to us this morning. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. All right. So by, you know, conversion of measurements in modern day, these two disciples, one of them is unnamed and one of them is Cleopas, they're walking at about a distance of seven miles. Okay, the road to Emmaus, it's about seven miles. And it takes the average person about two and a half to three and a half hours to walk seven miles. Depends on how fast you're power walking and how many calories you're trying to burn, right? But you're, you're walking at a pretty steady pace. It's about three hours. And here these men are and they're discussing the recent events. What a whirlwind it must have been. This, this man comes and performs signs and wonders and declares himself the son of God and says there's a kingdom that's coming, but it's already here. And that they interpret this as, here he is, the Messiah, who's going to overthrow our adversaries and finally bring Israel back to its proper place. The only problem is, their hero has just been murdered, nailed to a tree, in the public eye. And now, to top that off three days later, there's rumors that his body's not even in the tomb. They're like, what is going on? They, they even said, we've been left bewildered. Because some of our friends went to the tomb and can't even find the body. We don't know what's going on. And in their discussions, Jesus shows up in his incarnation, in his physical flesh. He shows up on the other side of the cross and the grave, resurrected, and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they start to say, How? you know, we would use the phrase, have you been living under a rock? How do you not know what's going on? And so they kind of give their explanation and Jesus all the while is, is sitting there listening and then he says, why is it that you have not believed what's been written about the Christ? And it says that he began with Moses and the prophets to unlock the scriptures. Can you imagine walking three hours now, they didn't know it was Jesus in the moment, but they're walking with the Messiah and literally the word of God is unpacking the word of God to these men. They are walking with the word and he's explaining how the scriptures point to him. And they, they have unrestricted access. They had three hours to pick his brain on the scriptures. You might think, oh, that'd be awesome. Can I tell you, you have a lifetime to unpack the scriptures with the Lord because he is a risen savior and he will come and sit with you in your room and he will reveal himself to you through the word and through his presence. You're not restricted to three hours. You have a lifetime. That's a beautiful thing. So these men, they're with Jesus. He's revealing the scriptures to them. Let's pick up in verse 28. It says, and they approached the village where they were going and he acted though he were going farther. But they urged him saying, stay with us for it is getting toward evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and breaking it, he began giving it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. This line is what really wrecked me. And then said one to another, they said one to another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining 
the scriptures to us? Was our hearts not burning when he was explaining the scriptures to us? Lord, that our hearts would burn again as you reveal yourself in the scriptures to us. And they got up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, the Lord has really risen and appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. I found this quote recently on this passage, and I love it. It says, when the two disciples urged Jesus to stay with them, Jesus responded by giving them a way to stay in him. Let me say that again. When the two disciples urged Jesus to stay with them, Jesus responded by giving them a way to stay in him. That's by way of communion. He on the night of the Passover, gathers with his closest circle and he breaks the bread and he pours the cup and he explains how these holy sacraments are important. They testify of what he was doing, what his mission was. And in that breaking of bread, we see now on the other side of the cross, there's a breaking of bread as Jesus fellowships with them around the table. And it's in the breaking of bread that they're like, oh my goodness, it's Jesus. And then he disappears. And then they're able to look back and say, I don't know about you, but wasn't your heart burning when he was talking to us about the scriptures? The thing is, their, their knowledge and their belief and their gathering together to walk into fellowship together brought in presence. It brought in the presence of Jesus. And when Jesus showed up, he was able to give them a deeper level of revelation through the scriptures. So their belief ushered in his presence. His presence brought in deeper revelation. But then they come to the end of the road, and uh-oh, Jesus is going to keep going. What do they do? They invite him in. So then by way of invitation, they're brought into communion. Their belief brings in presence. Presence brings revelation. That revelation gives us an invitation into deeper communion with Christ. It's, it's, yes, it's about the bread and it's about the wine. It's about the, the broken body of Christ. But communion is really relationship. I want to encourage you. This will change your life. I'm telling you. Trust me. Communion and taking the communion elements and and setting your heart on the Lord, it's, it's not just for when we're all in this room. It's not just for the corporate body. If you will, you can go online. You can buy it on Lifeway, Amazon, whatever. Buy communion elements. Get up in the morning. Take communion and rest your heart upon the Lord and commune with him. Do it as a family. Sit down with your spouse. Sit down with your kids. Explain to them that communion is more than just sacraments, but it is relationship with a living Christ. And what you will find is the revelation of who he is invites you into deeper relationship with him every day. Communion's not just for church time on Sundays. Communion is for every day. I need him Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I need him every day. So it's presence that brings revelation and that revelation gives us an invitation into deeper communion. However, it is possible to be in the scriptures so deeply that you miss Christ. Let me give you an example of that. Turn with me to John chapter five. John chapter five, verse 39. This is Jesus again, before the cross. 
but he's talking to a group of Pharisees, scribes, scholars. These are men who are intelligent, well-read, studied the, the word, the Holy Scriptures. At that point, you know, they don't have a New Testament because they're living it. So they have, what, Moses and the prophets. They have the scrolls. They are studying so intelligently that they have a head knowledge of the word. But Jesus says to them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, Jesus says. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I'll accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. And if you do not believe in his writings, then how will you believe in my words? Ouch. Now, yes, this is a rebuke to the Pharisees, but uh, as, as Brandon Thomas did such an awesome job of teaching about when he taught about these, these passages, he said, there's a way that you can read it because oftentimes we read Jesus and the Pharisees as like super hostile and like Jesus is like, Check this out. I'm going to, you know, drop a bomb on you guys. And, but, but that's not necessarily Jesus' approach every time. Now, Jesus did confront them, and he had some harsh words at times. But there's a way that you can read this, as Brandon brought out, that's Jesus as a man, right? We all believe he came to the earth as a man, still fully God. And he says to these guys, what do I have to do? The prophets, Moses, they wrote about me. Here I am. I don't even come lifting myself up. I come in the name of the Father and you reject me. But other people who come in their own name, you're quick to give them credit. And there's an emotion in Jesus' voice, I think you can read from this passage, that says, not how dare you, but why won't you? A, a heartbrokenness to say, I'm here for you too. Jesus died for the Pharisees too. He's standing before them saying, I don't know what else to do. It's been the plan since before the foundations of the world. Jesus is king forever, but in both directions. That means he's king from forever and king to forever. He says there was a plan set in motion before the foundations of the world. We sent holy men to write about it, inspired by the Holy Spirit. You study it and you miss me standing in front of you. And if anybody else comes, you give them time of day, but you don't acknowledge that the scriptures point to me. He said, you can study the scriptures because you think that you will have eternal life in them. I think another way that that, that could be looked at is sometimes people study scripture for the point of proving their own opinion right. Not for finding Christ. They will be the most learned scholar in a, a particular vein of theology just so they can stand up in arrogance and proclaim everybody else to be silly and wrong and unlearned. I see it all the time. People are passionate about God and then they start to study the scriptures out and then they get an arrogance in them that says, I know more than you. And what are they doing? They're studying the scriptures, but they've missed the God man in the scriptures. Eric Gilmore says that you can be wrapped in the ink of its pages, but never touch the oil of his spirit. You have to recognize that the word is a person. 
It's not so you can, you can flaunt your, your opinions or your ideologies or your misunderstandings and lord them over people because they're not as learned as you because that's what the Pharisees did. Jesus has said eternal life is standing in front of you and you've missed him. The, the, the writer of John, right, he defines Christ in such a beautiful way. If you've seen The Chosen, the show, I highly recommend it. There's a scene in The Chosen where they're trying to talk about where John should start his gospel. And they say, well, you know, Matthew started with the genealogies, the family lines. And Luke, well, he started with the, the story of, you know, being born in a manger, the, the Christmas story as we know it. And John said, that's, those are good places to start, but that's not far enough. And John who was the last disciple to write his gospel way, way later down the road, pins the words in chapter one, verse one, that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John says it's not, it's not enough to start with Ruth and Boaz, and Obed, and Jesse, and David, and on down the line. It's not, that's not far enough back. It's not enough to talk about a manger, and, and laying him in the hay, and, and the shepherds. That's all great, but we need to go back until forever, and say that in the beginning, before time and space existed, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John said, let me catch you up to speed. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we saw his glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, the one who laid his head on Jesus' chest the night he would be betrayed, said, I'll tell you where to start. Let's start with him as recognizing he's the word. And that word became flesh and dwelt among us. John also is credited as not just the beloved, but as the revelator. And he wrote the last book of our Bible, the book of Revelation. Let me tell you, the book of Revelation is not the revealing of the end times. Church has gotten that messed up for years. The book of Revelation is the revealing of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is not some spooky book that you shouldn't read and, and then you know, when something, the stock market starts to go a little funny, you pull out Revelation to see where that fits with what you believe. That's not what Revelation's for. It's for the revealing of Jesus Christ. And John the Beloved, who called him the Word from the beginning, writes in Revelation 19, in his description of Jesus, revealed in this vision that he has of future tense, he says, he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called what? The Word of God. He, he has many names. John starts and says, in the beginning, he's the word. And guess what? At the end, he's still the word of God. Jesus is the living word of God. You cannot separate Jesus from the scriptures. You cannot. He is the word of God. We are called into deeper relationship, but we sometimes avoid the most important part of what he sent us. And that's his word. I, I, I think that, one of the most beautiful quotes about reading the word is that the Bible is the only book whose author demands to be present when it's read. 
You know, when you crack open those scriptures, you're literally communing with the Son of God. The Bible is the only book whose author demands to be present when it's read. Because when you open those pages, he opens your heart. That's his desire for us. Communion with him. We're called into deeper revelation, deeper intimacy with him. But I want to share something with you. Statistics show that in America, of American Bible-believing Christians, the average daily Bible reading is around 10%. 10% of like the entire nation of America who, be- who believes in God. 10%. Let me, let me tell you something a little bit more staggering. It fell from 14%. Before covid Nationwide, it was 14%. Oh, but I'm just so busy. I don't have time. I, I want to go deeper in, in the things of God. I, I, I just, my schedule's so busy. And then everything shut down. And for a while, we couldn't even go to restaurants. You couldn't do anything. Sports were canceled. Everything was canceled. And we should have seen Bible reading skyrocket off the charts. Because you now have a moment to be locked up with the person of God. And instead, all we did was sit there, mind-numbingly scrolling. Oh, what's the latest post? What the CDC say? How, how does this person feel about this? I wonder what this political party thinks about this. Mind-numbingly. We will lose hours of our day to social media. But how often do we look up from the scriptures and say, where did the time go? No, we, we actually time box our Bible reading to make sure we get it in. And I'm speaking to myself, so don't take this as, you know, I'm, I'm, this is me preaching to me. But we will literally time box our Bible reading to say we got it in that day, and we will waste hours on mind-numbing things that don't move us one ounce closer to him. And in a time where we had nothing to do, instead of Bible reading going up, it fell by 4%, which was the biggest drop in decades. It showed us one thing. Our schedules weren't the problem. Our priorities were. But if the Apostle Paul in Colossians will call him the preeminent one, preeminent first in all things, it was demonstrated in the church that maybe that wasn't quite how we aligned our beliefs. I want to say something, and, and, and I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but it's truth, and I hope you'll still love me afterwards. If you ignore getting in the scriptures, you are ignoring the person of Jesus Christ. I would never do that. I, I love the Lord. Your one little verse that pops up in your daily devotional reminder and your K-love on the way to work is not what he's looking for. That's great, but it's not enough. You ignoring the scriptures is you ignoring the person of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but relationships aren't really well kept in absence. And instead, he has a love letter written to us that draws us closer to his heart. And we fail to pick it up. We want to prophesy what Jesus is saying, but we don't know what he's already said. As ministers, we want to open the scriptures to get a sermon out of the text, but when's the last time his word pierced our heart and brought us to tears? 
This is real. Like, I'm just being real. You either love the Bible and Jesus. Like, they're, they're mutually inclusive. Why? Because John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in, in the end of Revelation, John says, I see him on a horse, and his vestures dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. But for too long, we wonder why we struggle in all of these areas of life when all of the answers are locked up in Jesus in the scriptures. I'm, I'm telling you, it breaks my heart to see ministers who have the next hottest thing from the Lord, but they can't quote any scriptures. If you want to prophesy, that's awesome. But you better know what the word says. Because when you don't, your prophecy can come out of an emotion and you can absolutely contradict the text. And guess who's right 100% of the time? He is, right? I mean that in love, but I'm here to bring a little bit of conviction because I, I'm, I'm tired of seeing ministers and churches and even just Christians who don't know any Bible and yet claim to represent the gospel. I love you guys, I do. I hope you know that. I mean this in love. I'm here to prompt you into deeper relationship. But if we're not being real, then we're doing all of ourselves a disservice. If we don't value his word, then we don't care about what he has to say. If I ignore my wife's phone calls, pretty quick I get in trouble. Right? But worse than that, I don't know what she wants. I don't know where her heart is. I don't know what she's thinking because I've shut off communication. And many of us, the inconvenience of opening up the person of Jesus in front of us and in being invited into communion with him is so much of a constraint on our time that we shut off what he has to say, but then we'll get it in, in powerful services and we'll cry out for revival and glory and healing and all these things. We don't even know what the word says about those things. We have to prioritize the word because the word is Jesus. If you want to know what he's saying, you need to know what he said. Now, I want to tell you something beautiful about the word. Because the word is a living person. You ever read a Bible verse and kind of study it out and it speak to you? And then like maybe a couple years later, you read the same verse and it like totally out of left field hits you a totally different way. Right? Anybody experience that? So my oldest daughter, her name is Madeline, as you guys know. Most of you know. <clears throat> And, and I love, I'll cuddle up beside her. We'll be playing with the dog or watching TV or something. And I'll say, oh, Madeline, I love you. And then there's times where she'll do something kind of funny or goofy. And I'll say, Madeline. And then there's times, contrary to popular belief, where maybe she gets in trouble. And that's where you break out all the syllables. Madeline, what are you doing? And if you're Megan, it's Madeline Elizabeth, right? Full, like, middle name. The point is, the same word with a different tone brings a different context. And sometimes we open the scriptures and they hit us one way, and then the same scripture hits us a different way because he's a living person and he changes his tone. Sometimes it's love. Sometimes it's encouragement. Sometimes it's correction. Because he's a good, good father. So what happens is if we will sit with him and invite him in and beg him to stay and commune with him 
then he can change his tone and the context of what he's saying comes alive to us all over again. Uh, I, I love uh, what Michael Culliano says. He says this about, you know, getting into God's presence. He says, we beg him to come and then he shows up and we change the subject. We are supposed to beg him to come, and when he comes, let him be revealed to us so that it prompts us into deeper fellowship with him. That is what it's for. That's what this whole thing is about. Jesus said, starting in Moses, starting with Moses and the prophets, he started explaining himself. Why did he start with Moses? Who wrote Genesis? Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible and some of the Psalms. So when Jesus said he started with Moses, he, meant, he started in Genesis and went through the scriptures and revealed himself in those scriptures. And he does the same thing to us if we'll allow him to. But we have to allow him to unlock the word to us because that word came and was nailed to a tree for my sins and for your sins. He wrapped himself in flesh after leaving the adoration of angels and came to die as a criminal in my place, to be resurrected and given the authority at the right hand of the Father, and now he is our advocate interceding for us, and all he wants is your heart. All he wants is relationship with you. All he wants is deeper connection with you, and sometimes we forsake the most beautiful and foundational way to connect the love letter that are the scriptures. It's the person of Jesus. Unlocking the word. I want our prayer to be, did our hearts not burn as he revealed himself in the scriptures to us? If that is your heart cry, then I can tell you this. It's not that you won't face tough things, but it's that your answer to the tough things will always be him. And you will find a people who, despite facing battles and temptations and trials, they will remain constant in their faith, unshakable, because they know who their God is. And every part of the scripture is about Jesus. It's heaven's favorite sermon. If you want to know what we're going to talk about in, in heaven, we're going to talk about the Lamb. If you want to know what we're going to do in heaven... I, I don't want to say this controversially, but it's probably not cruise around in sports cars in our mansions because if there's a lamb of God who's taken away the sins of the world and he's forever seated, ruling and reigning on the throne, I probably want to be at his feet there too. Can you imagine the angels of heaven see a different side of God every time they pass by the throne and the words out of their mouth is holy, holy, holy. It's a new revelation. And I want us to see a different side of God as revealed in the scriptures. Let him come sit with you. Let him come speak to you. Let him come comfort you. And then whatever life throws at you, you'll have the word buried deep in your heart. If you truly love Jesus, then you have to fall in love with his word. There's no separating it. And, and I feel like the Lord has laid this message on my heart to remind us all, including myself, that I can't claim that I love Jesus and not ever want to get in his word because he is the word. 
and he's so important and we need a nation we need we need a church we need a remnant even to say i'm going to prioritize communion with him i'm not saying to delete your social media i'm not saying to delete your facebook i'm saying don't let it have your heart let him have your heart because he's the only one that's purchased it he paid it all so let's give him our love in return because he doesn't force us to he invites us to amen